From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode. On Raw, the cracks began to show in the loose alliance between Booker T and Goldust, as the latter accidentally cost the former a match. Booker returned the favour and intentionally cost Goldust his match. Incidentally, don't expect to see this on the network, but Booker called Goldust an illegitimate lesbian. Steve Austin, the biggest star in the history of professional wrestling, enjoyed a jaunt in the mid-car, farting around with Bradshaw in a tag-team match against Scott Hall and X-Pac. Ric Flair, serving as guest referee, didn't spot X-Pac's foot on the ropes as he gave the win to the babyfaces in this increasingly convoluted storyline that is doing nothing for Austin. I'm sure nothing bad will come of this. In an intergender match, Bubba Ray Dudley faced WWF Women's Champion Jazz with Bubba's Hardcore Championship on the line. Naturally, the winner was Stevie Richards. He pinned Bubba Ray under the 24-7 rule to win the title. It was revealed that the man Sunday Night Heat color commentator Raven had been referring to as Wacko Stevie had colluded with Jazz to get the Hardcore belt for himself. Hulk Hogan was scheduled to face William Regal, but the match was thrown out before it could begin when Undertaker showed up to obliterate the WWF Champion. On SmackDown, Kurt Angle grew sick and tired of Edge's tricks and challenged him to another match at Judgment Day, this time with a stipulation. If Edge lost, he'd be shaped bald. Edge agreed to the stipulation, provided Kurt was willing to accept the same, thus making the match a hair versus hair wager match. I'm gonna be honest guys, it might be a bit tricky to pretend the outcome of this one is up in the air. Hardcore Holly decided he hadn't stiffed Randy Orton quite enough, so beat the absolute horseshit out of the rookie. Vince McMahon touched Stacey Keebler's belly button. Ugh! You can't stop, you gross old fucker. Ah, Jesus Christ. Christian and Test continue to team, with the Canadians goading Mark Henry and Farouk, which still doesn't seem like a very good idea, but I need you all to remember Test rules. Reverend Devon interrupted this tag encounter to collect for the building fund, but Farouk and Henry stole the money from the church collection plate and threw it to the audience. For this anti-religious behaviour, Farouk was smited mightily when Christian pinned him. His name's Christian. Devon's a reverend. My god, it's poetry. Tajiri retained his WWF Cruiserweight Championship against Billy Kidman by using Tori Wilson as a human shield. 
What a very strange storyline for Tori, caught between her storyline boyfriend and her real-life boyfriend. Chris Jericho challenged Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the WWF Undisputed Championship. Despite Jericho stacking the deck in his favour, the cerebral assassin Triple H was the one who managed to outwit the challenger and ensure Hogan retained his title, upsetting Jericho in the process. The WWF honoured the passing of two of the greats of the territory era of wrestling. Ed Wahoo McDaniel, who passed on April 18, 2002, and the hugely influential Lou Fez, who passed 10 days later. Sean Stasiak continued to act like a cunt, this time double-legging Brock Lesnar and receiving death for his troubles. Hello and welcome once again to Ruthless Aggression Relived. I am, of course, your regular host, LT Fletcher, joining me today. Dear listeners, oh, we've got a very special guest indeed. We've got a, we've got, we've got an outsider on the show. Yes, today we'll be covering a UK exclusive event from 2002. And joining me is a very dear friend of mine. Um, he's, you're gonna have to forgive him, guys. He's not like the rest of us. He's not normal. He's, he doesn't like wrestling. I, I kind of want to like um, stress the fact that I'm maybe more normal. Uh, at this point, but... Oh. <laughs> this show may have won him over, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't recognise the voice of my good friend here, this is long-time pal of mine, uh, my former editor and my days of working at Sonic the Comic Online, it's Michael Stevenson, better known to many of us as Stiv. How are you, man? It me. Hi, I'm alright. I'm uh, a bit tired, but it's Thursday night, let's get this bread and shit. <laughs> we're we're both in our thirties, man. We're always tired. And well, that's true. Yeah, I genuinely like you sent me a message saying, "Oh, I'll be I'll be back home for eight. This is at half seven. Ooh. I lent my head back on the settee, and then I was awoken by this crocodile-like snore that emanated from my mouth. <laughs> and I looked back, it's eight o'clock. Fantastic! I love being old. I thought you were going to say, I said I'd be round at eight, and you were going to be like, well, that's like past my bedtime. <laughs> Don't tell them that, that's private. I mean, it's understandable. <laughs> um, so before we jump into the show proper, Steve, um, generally speaking, on this show, when I have a co-host on, I'll usually ask them what their sort of... Their history of their wrestling fandom is, but you don't have one because you're not a wrestling fan. So my history is a couple of my friends used to watch it around mm. this time. Um, I remember watching one pay per view thing. I think it was, but it really? wasn't this. Um, that's about it. I mean, the the people I'm talking about still watch it now. So, sure. Um, they were quite amused to hear I was going to be doing this. <laughs> That's because if you if it's anything like how you talk about wrestling when I bring it up, it's with sheer disdain. Yep, yep, well... <laughs> the number uh, of times, that's just comic effect, I'm sure. The number of times, listeners, I tried to introduce some kind of pro-wrestling element to a Sonic the Hedgehog story in STC Online and it was shot down by this philistine. Oof, I mean, I don't remember specifically totally shooting it down, but... <laughs> I mean, Sonic X got away with it. That's true, El Gran Gordo. Ooh. Which means the big fatty, as I recall. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much, yeah. So today, we are going to be looking at an event that is historically <coughs> significant in a couple of ways, actually. Um, 
I got Steve on specifically for this episode because this is a UK exclusive event. This was broadcast on Sky Box Office in the UK. It was also broadcast in Australia, but it was not broadcast in America at the time. Yeah. Uh, this didn't show up in America for a good old while. I don't know whether they had it on DVD at all, ever, but it was certainly... If it was on DVD, it was much later, and it's it's available on the WWE Network now. So they did get it eventually. Um, plus, of course, you know, the usual um, underhanded means of finding wrestling videos on the internet, of course, but we'll not get into that. Um, <laughs> Is that how they used to do stuff? Did they used to just uh, bring it straight to DVD? Generally speaking, they they'd be like maybe a month or two, and it'd it'd be it'd be on there pretty much straight away. These days, they're really quick about it. There's a really quick turnaround for getting them on DVD. But back then, I think it might have been a couple of months more. Um, the actual like the DVDs that you got, like they did them for every pay per view. What like once they they did it for VHS as well beforehand. But like for DVDs, yeah. it was every monthly event. Right. But DVDs where they really started getting. Like they, it's like they relearned home media because in the early nineties they had uh, a brand of the company called Coliseum Home Video, and they did all the VHS tapes. And you get not just the pay per view events, but you'd also get like profile videos of like particular tag teams or singles wrestlers, and they were really popular and well liked. But then, like, there there came a point where they just kind of stopped doing videos like that. Um, But with the DVDs in two thousand two, there are like maybe five kind of documentary ones and now documentaries are one of their big things because as it turns out they're really good at them (laughs) so instead of having like a a home a home media thing that's like 40 minutes and a couple Mm -hmm. of highlights the documentaries now like the runtime on the back will say something stupid like 12 hours which is Fantastic! <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, of course. Well, I got this one like for for an example. I got a, a Dudley Boys DVD box set here. Approximate runtime: seven hours ten minutes. Seven hours of people being put through tables, mate. What more could you want? <laughs> That's thrilling for me. That I saw that. I was like, yes, mate, having that. They, yeah. I think, I think they'd marked it down by accident as well. So nice. It's nice, seven hours nice. of tables and affordability. For forty nine p. So, not only is this a UK exclusive pay-per-view, the first of which on our timeline for this podcast, but it is also a last for this podcast, because this is the final event ever promoted under the name World Wrestling Federation. Yes, two nights later, the company would rebrand to become World Wrestling Entertainment. We're going to be covering that on our next mainline episode here on the podcast, uh, but for now, we're going to say farewell to uh, the WWF, as it was. Um, do you know the context of why they had to change the name? Was it to not be confused with the Wildlife Fund? It is exactly that. Basically, what happened was the World Wildlife Fund uh, caught wind of the World Wrestling Federation using the same initialism and said, Hey guys, can you not do that, please? Because we <laughs> kind of own that initialism, and you shouldn't do that. And Ooh. instead, what happened was Vince McMahon said, fuck you. So eventually, they got a little bit tired of that and took him to court. Set the pandas on him, please. <laughs> Pretty much. The upshot of it is, uh, they were allowed, if they wanted, to call it the World Wrestling Federation, but they would have to do that every single time they mentioned it, which is a little tricky when you're doing 
you know live interviews and things like that it, it, it yeah. gets it gets to be a little much so it's just easier for them to change the name of the company apparently it's something that they were thinking of doing anyway according to an episode of bruce pritchard's podcast he's one of vince mcmahon's right hand men <laughs> apparently they were thinking of a rebrand anyway this just kind of gave them the opportunity to do so um for home videos and the like they weren't allowed to show the company's logo that you'll see in this pay-per-view oh, event, wow. the, uh, the sort of scratched-out WWF logo. Oddly enough, they could use the block-style one from the 80s, but they can't use the scratch one. <laughs> so, lots okay. and lots of... Any time a wrestler says WWF on home media from around the time, it'll be edited, so they just go WW, and then there's a pause. <laughs> or every time the logo shows up, they have to blur it. Mm. Which becomes a little bit of a costly endeavour when you have... Bearing in mind, you've got uh, three turnbuckles in every corner of the ring with the logo. So, it, it, uh, you know, fans wearing the logos on their shirts and it's yeah. all over the stage. Yeah. It becomes really expensive for them to do that. So, it didn't. It, it ended up being uh, like eventually you could get all the old events, but like your weekly broadcasts, it was very rare for them to make those available because it's purely just too much work to be worth it. Yeah. When yeah. they came to launch the WWE Network, they were actually able to get a new deal that let them say, you, you know, they could they could rebroadcast old footage with the name, but they can't call it by that name now. It's, basically, it works out much better all round for both yeah. sides, really. So yeah, defeated by the pandas in the court of law. <laughs> brilliant. I've just literally googled WWF logo. And I found a brilliant picture of a panda about to smash another panda over the head with a foldable chair. <laughs> See, if only the companies had merged, we could have saved all this difficulty. Yeah. Also, I think that's a better logo for both companies. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a way, it's kind of fitting, because obviously it was the UK courts that uh, brought an end to proceedings, and it is a UK event that brings an end to the name. So here we are then, ladies and gentlemen... With Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, we're at Wembley Arena, one of the most famous arenas in the world, for the Big Red X pay-per-view. We're just two weeks removed from Backlash in this, the first ever brand-exclusive pay-per-view, which means only performers from the Raw brand of WWE, or, well, WWF still tonight, are here tonight performing in front of 9,308 fans. Ain't that exciting? It's mind blowing. <laughs> tickets uh, we are told at the start of the show tickets sold out in 21 minutes the previous wow. November when they went on sale which is very impressive was there much of a UK presence before this? Or? well this is the thing the UK market at the time was absolutely starved for wrestling basically the 1970s and 80s were kind of when UK wrestling was at its hottest mm -hmm. early to mid 90s very much became the the country sort of the wrestling fans of the UK kind of fell in love with the World Wrestling Federation and we never looked yeah. back really. By 2002 when this show rolls around it's WWF or nothing or pretty much your options like British wrestling did continue to exist but it was very small scale yeah. it, you, you, you tended to get uh, a lot of independent tribute shows so it's kind of like you'll you know if you drive past the Drive past your old work in men's clubs or your pubs yeah. in Britain, you'll have tri <laughs> tribute acts to a famous singer. It was kind of like that, really. Yeah. So you'd have a guy in a wig, 
and sunglasses would be The Rock, or you, you know, a guy with a really shonky mask would be Kane, things like that. So it's <laughs> it's not unheard of, but it, it was very low rent. It, yeah. it, it was kind of a while before British wrestling kind of recovered, and it was it's it's in a good shape now, but not as good as it has been perhaps in recent years, and probably not as good as it could be. But that's because WWE keep uh, sort of strangleholding them because it's like, well, if we can't control wrestling in your market, <laughs> then no one's going to. Yeah. There are no uh, pay-per-view buy rate numbers readily available online for this one, not that I could find, but in fairness, since it was only available in the UK to Sky Sports subscribers, well, Sky Box Office users, I should say, uh, and in Australia, the number would be significantly lower than usual anyway, so they probably wouldn't record that number. Uh, One interesting tidbit before we jump into the show proper, WWF champion Hulk Hogan is not in attendance this evening. Yeah, I, I noticed there were lots of signs for him. Was he meant to be there? Uh, it, it's. I'm going to be honest. The whole this whole run that Hogan has here, he's he's around for a couple of years. I don't recall him once uh, being on any of the UK tours. I could be doing him a disservice there. I don't remember seeing him once on any of those tours. Um, I believe the famous phrase that is attributed to Hogan backstage is that doesn't work for me, brother. So if he didn't feel like going on a flight overseas, he probably wasn't going to bother. Ah, uh, you would get me on no plane. No, wait, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> that's the wrong. That's the wrong member of the WrestleMania <laughs> One main event. What? Mr. T was in the main event of WrestleMania One. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, he was Hogan's tag team partner. Excellent. Isn't it? Well, that's going to be bonus episode for the Patreon. Us sitting through WrestleMania One and you wowing at Mr. T. Ah, sign up now, guys. <laughs> uh, one thing to note: I like you'll not you'll not know this because you've got no sort of context for this. Camera quality and setup just ever so slightly off all night. The hard camera is not quite aligned where it usually would be, presumably owing to the setup of the arena. Uh, yeah. Different quality of cameras used, uh, coupled with the low arena lighting, it kind of gives a, a slightly grainy quality to the picture. So oh, I thought that was that. Didn't notice, but it looked exactly how I remember seeing it when I was like it's, it's it's pretty much no worse than any TV show from two thousand and two would have looked in fairness. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to hop straight in then, buddy? <clears throat> I mean, I guess. Um, uh, what, right. what are the commentators' names again? There's JR. Who's the other one? Uh, JR, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler. He's the color commentator. The uh, Rather irritating one, and yes, I have a few notes on him tonight. Oh, he's in his element. <laughs> he really is, hmm. quite worryingly. Now, one of the reasons that I thought it would be good to get you on for this one as a non-fan is that the UK pay-per-views always had kind of a touch of non-canon about them. Because they, they aren't going to be broadcast to America, they have to be able to slip them into storylines pretty well. So as you probably noticed, we only had a very small handful of matches that had any kind of continuity with anything this evening. One of them is this opening contest with Rob Van Dam defending, uh, challenging, I, guess I should say, for Eddie Guerrero's Intercontinental Championship. So we had a little bit of a recap of their uh, recent feud, um, including Eddie winning the belt from RVD at Backlash. I was very happy to see this was opening the show because I loved that match, and now we get to see them again. Yay! This was like... Man takes on alternate universe self. Sure, <laughs> they're they're very well, um, very well matched in the ring. These two, I it like lots of very fast paced action, particularly in the early going. Um, 
I think it was it like obviously again you haven't seen the previous match that we covered on uh, on this podcast, but it was interesting how you've got these two guys who are, and you know as you say they're kind of an alternate reality version of one one another. They work quite well in that regard, but they've managed to do a completely <coughs> different kind of style of match than they had previously. Um, Eddie Guerrero constantly trying to slow RVD down, working working him a little bit uh, more methodically. Um, it's around this point we get uh, what turns into a very, very lengthy sequence throughout the night. Because on commentary, Jerry Lawler tries to introduce JR to some British slang. He claims that R- yeah, he claims that RVD <laughs> has been knocked loopy and is a bit cream. Excellent. As in cream crackered, knackered, exhausted for our American listeners. Um, I don't think you'd ever say he's a bit cream, would you? <laughs> you'd just I've, say, oh, I'm knackered, oh, I'm cream crackered. I've never heard it, yep. I never hear someone say I'm a bit cream. However, in fairness, hoop de doo, apples and pears. Fucking, it's going to be a long old night with this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Eddie works on RVD's leg with submission holds. This is smart for two reasons. Firstly, because most of RVD's offense requires leg strength. And secondly, because RVD is incapable of pulling his kicks and Eddie doesn't want to get kicked in the fucking jaw and I don't blame him. Let's see. Uh, JR, uh, sorry, King notes on commentary as well that England doesn't have a king yet. 20 years later, no change. (laughs) Yeah, um... I mean, apart from the opening of Parliament, got us somewhere there. But, oh um, yeah, I shan't. I shan't. At the, at the risk of being, at the risk of being political. <laughs> eh? Yes, yes there's, a, there's a terrible cost of living crisis going on at the moment. Says man sat on golden throne wearing suit that costs ten. Well, million. precisely. Yes, maybe I should have delivered the speech somewhere. <laughs> maybe I should have just worn the, uh, a normal gold. suit and stood in a field somewhere. <laughs> Maybe yes. the uh, golden gemstones room. I heard oh dear! Eat the monarchy. Sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Put a bin on the head and kick him. <laughs> uh, RVD manages to swing back the momentum, and King notes that it's all gone Pete Tong for Eddie. Pete Tong oh, wrong. Yes. The DJ Pete Tong. Shut up, King. It's going to be a long, long <laughs> night. My God. Uh, finish of the match soon comes around though RVD hits Rolling Thunder, gets a 2 then goes for the 5 star Frog Splash uh, but Eddie rolls out of the way gets out of the ring and brings the Intercontinental Championship into the ring the ref tries to grab the belt but Eddie shoves him over which results in a disqualification at 11 minutes 24 seconds meaning RVD wins but because of the champion's advantage meaning the belt cannot change hands on a disqualification Eddie retains the belt and is still champion Rob Van Damme son <laughs> Nice. Very nice. Thanks. That's my one contribution. (laughs) Eddie chases the ref, runs into a spin kick from RVD, and then eats an astonishing pop-up front drop kick. RVD hits Eddie with the belt, poses with it, and nails him with a five-star frog splash. JR says, someday these two men will cross paths again. Don't you threaten me with a good time, Jim. That was definitely a lot of words. (laughs) What did you reckon to this one, then? Um... I have no notes on this one. Um, (laughs) My only recollection was that they do look quite alike and they mention frogs a lot. Well, they both have a frog splash as a finisher. That's uh, that's the basis of the feud, you see, because Eddie thinks that RVD has stolen his move. 
I see. Uh, the difference is the five-star frog splash, when RVD hits it, he usually writhes around in pain because he throws himself with such ridiculous force that it is supposed to hurt, whereas Eddie's is much more graceful, you see. Right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, what effect does the mullet bring into being the... Uh, it makes him look like a sexy man. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's great. Like Ed- Eddie's mullet, I think, honestly, he kept it purely because it made him look like a jackass, honestly. Yeah, because later later on he he cuts it short, like you know he just has a, a regular sort of short haircut, and that suits him more when he's trying to kind of be the character that he plays later on. But when he, like he's he's the sort of obviously you've, you'll have seen from the the entrance video and from the theme music, he's Latino Heat. He was kind of a a smooth, slick haired sort of Latin lover kind of character, and the mullet kind of added into that a little bit. That was another note. Now that you uh, bring it up, they did mm. say Latino eat a lot. Oh yes. Uh, but, well, this <laughs> is the thing. It's not only his nickname because he's uh, the Latin lover, but also because his fiery, passionate temper is uh, often a feature in matches, as we saw in this one. And 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 apparently, apparently in real life, it was very easy to wind up with thirty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. God bless him. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. You know, good way to start off <clears throat> proceedings. Fires up the crowd really well. They're really into it. Um, so yeah, I liked this one. Good match. Um, crucially, also, it was the debut on our timeline of obnoxious twatty football airhorn, a regular star at UK sporting <laughs> events. <laughs> I noticed that, yeah. I was like, this doesn't seem very wrestling. No. Wrestling, wrestling fans in England in particular, but certainly in the UK... There's a lot of crossover between them and uh, you know people that are going to launch into football chants, as we will get on to in a later match this evening. <laughs> is that the, uh, yes, is that the big show match? Uh, yeah, it would be. <laughs> so backstage, Molly is lovely, and I love her, and she's the best. Uh, Terry and Jazz are here, yeah. well, but who cares about them? So Molly refuses to get her norks out, and this makes her the bad guy somehow. Uh, she says. <laughs> It's 2002, yeah. it doesn't have to make sense now. She says that she and Jazz are not in the WWF Divas video, uh, and Molly claims they have been disallowed. Now, in actuality, Molly was sincerely uncomfortable in real life with risque bikini shoots, mm. so any photo shoots she did do for them were always much more demure. Right. Uh, God bless her, she's lovely. Jazz, on the other hand, was never going to be in the video because her role in the company is not standing about being pretty. Her role is fucking killing people. So then okay. we get... <laughs> didn't realise that was part of it, but okay. <laughs> then we get this incredible bit, and I don't know whether this was just blurred for the Network Edition. So Molly shows off page three of the Daily Star, which is a British tabloid, and page three has topless models on it. Ah, was that what it was? Yes. So it was pixelated, you see, on the Network right. version. Uh, okay. Molly says that it's, tr- it's trash and bad, and damn, she is not wrong. We stand a progressive queen... Uh, Terry responds to this by getting her bra out, uh, or getting her kit off, as King states. <laughs> uh, Jazz responds to this by looking at Terry like she's a shithead, and then they just leave. <laughs> oh, Terry. we got a tag team match. We've got uh, Trish and Jacqueline teaming up against Jazz and Molly. Um, did we mention the WWF Divas video's coming out? Uh. Because if you buy it, right, you can see women in bikinis, yeah? Right, and they usually okay. wear about that much for free every week, but it's twelve ninety nine at all good retailers. 
fucking okay. idiots. Okay. Buy it. Okay. Um, we get okay. I'm gonna have to. I hate. I hate this. Now I. I have mentioned on a previous episode that she was game for this and she didn't mind it so much. But we get the first of a number of references from King that Jazz is not as pretty as the other divas, shall we say. Um, when he says that it, things like that wouldn't bother JR because he doesn't look at the mantelpiece while stoking the fire, oi oi lads, he's doing a shag at a woman. <laughs> it's fucking grim. Mm. It's so grim. Yes, slightly, but again, it's the time, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, unfortunately. It's not, it's not the worst we're going to get in this match. No, um, it was nice of them to uh, hire Cruella de Vil as a commentator here, because I've <laughs> never seen anyone quite as obsessed with puppies. Oh my god, oh yeah, wow. God, how do I explain that? I mean, this was every week, by the way. Right. Uh, so as, as has been discussed previously on this show... Um, it was uh, the Rhodes dog that wanted uh, the future Mrs. Stone Cold Steve Austin to get her breasts out, referring to them as puppies. And Jerry Lawler thought that was so funny that he turned it into a bit for the following 25 years. Right. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Road Dog. It's, uh, it's very um, inventive, at least. I guess. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Jacqueline and Molly at one point in this match they do the traditional catfight funny bit where they roll over the referee on poor old Jack Doan and it's supposed to be, oh, it's a sexy funny moment. And you know what, watching this though, I was thinking, no, that probably hurts more than anything. <laughs> These are two women who are athletic with a bit of muscle density on them. They're not actually tiny, small, wee little kittens. That would probably hurt a fair bit, poor old Doan. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, there's lots of pointy edges. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Uh, Jazz beats the absolute dogfuck out of Jacqueline at one point. <laughs> there will be no catfighting from Jazz. She does not play that way. Uh, Trish, get, Trish gets tagged in. The fans absolutely shit themselves with delight. Um, she, it's kind of very basic stuff from her. She's sort of building her own style at this point. But you can see kind of glimpses of the wrestler she'd become. King notes that Trish is one fit bird. Uh, King then calls Jazz a boiler and a minger. Fucking hell. Yeah. I never quite got boiler. Mm. I mean, I have one. I have heard that expression before. Um, you know, oh, she's an old boiler. Mm. It's not very nice. It is absolutely not in my vocabulary. I have no idea what it is. Well, means. nor should it be. Nor should it be. <laughs> And not um, Minga, really, but at least Minga. I did, I did at least Minga's a funny sounding word. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, one of the only ones I've heard, actually, that you bring up. What's that? Oh, Minga. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of them I just either didn't understand what it meant or just hadn't heard them. It, feels like, it feels like someone gave him the big, bro- uh, the big book of. British slang or something. He just yeah. jotted a bunch of them down and said them. Yeah. It's like, I've got a mate who lives here. He'll tell me some good words. Yeah. <laughs> kind of horrible. Um, it gets worse, though, um, when he announces that the match is making him feel randy. Shut up! That's Stop. a name in America. That's uh, it, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's 
also the name of a wrestler currently on their roster at this point, so it's only going to get confusing. Orton. Randy Orton, that's the fella. Ah, I knew a wrestling thing. <laughs> 20 years strong, the lad. See, it's coming through osmosis. <laughs> uh, the match sort of breaks down uh, because coming up with how to do a tag team match is difficult, so why would we? Um, both Ooh. teams just get into the match. Referee completely loses control and loses sight of who the legal women are. Uh, the heels get the... The legal faces. women? The legal women, yeah. If they are if they are the active participant in a the match, they are legal. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I probably should have explained I th- that. Well. <laughs> I thought we were going through, like, definitions. <laughs> uh, so the heels get the baby faces in the corner. Heel is bad guy, baby faces good guy, just so as you know. Um, and they go to Irish whip them towards one another, but the faces do a little dosy do and run back to where they started. Jacqueline hits Molly with a rope rebound DDT, and Trish hits a rather weedy-looking chick kick and follows up with a much better-looking satisfaction on Jazz. Uh, the ref just gives up and cover counts both of the covers that ensue simultaneously, giving the good guys the win at seven forty-three, which. Is comfortably the longest women's match we've had on the timeline thus far, which is a little bit embarrassing. Wow. Um, after the match, King makes literally the first funny joke he's ever made about Molly's virginity uh, as she's clutching her head in pain and he notes, oh, she has a headache as usual. And then he spells out the joke as usual and removes all comedy from it. Uh. JR says the match was rather smashing. Don't you fucking start. <laughs> What did you reckon to this one, then? Um, the word puppies was said 236 times. <laughs> only, only as well um, as that. Wow, he must have been feeling <laughs> tired. The jet lag was getting to him. Must have been. Absolutely. Um, it, it happened. <laughs> it did happen. <laughs> there, was, there was some nice kind of tag teaming going on, as far <laughs> as I could see. And... You know, uh, there was a guy in a stripy shirt. He he was very zebra esque. <laughs> the um, now for what I've seen, it looked uh, entertaining enough. Sure. Um, there was some. I know. Can you say there was some good acting? Is that frowned upon? No, that's 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 good. It's a, at the end of the day, it's a form <laughs> of acting, isn't it? You know. Acting okay. while you're doing your own stunts five hundred times a night. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, I'll take that. <laughs> and um, outfits are pretty cool. Yeah, I I thought this was yeah, it's not bad. It was nice to see the women work a longer match than we've been having, rather than being sort of pushed aside. They've been getting like two and three minute matches, and it's kind of pathetic. Right. Um, so it's nice to see Trish improving, putting her in the ring with three capable hands, and like I say, seeing uh, seeing flashes of the performer that she would very soon evolve into because she gets better rapidly. I've got to say, she's not far off done. Backstage, X-Park does nunchuck shit. <laughs> and he's dancing uh-huh. around with Kane's mask in his hands. Not on his face, just like pure, just pumping it up in the air like he's at a rave. Uh, Scott Hall arrives. X-Park tells Hall that if he doesn't win his match, he's never coming back to this lousy country again. And Hall remarks that he doesn't know why X-Park would anyway. Fair fucks, mate. I was basically up and arms worried at this point. Oh, yeah. We might never have seen him in this country. Oh. I just don't know what I've <laughs> know if you done with my life with. after that. <laughs> <clears throat> so, up next, we have a singles match. We have Bradshaw taking on X-Park. 
Uh, of note, Bradshaw is wearing a plaster on his forehead to cover up a cut. More on which later. That's practice. Um, <laughs> King and JR debate whether X-Park meant he was pissed as in drunk or pissed as in angry, which is actually kind of a funny little discussion. I'll let him have that because we have different meanings across either side of the Atlantic for that one. Um, but again, on the subject of drunk and angry, more on which later. <laughs> uh, X-Park comes out wearing Kane's mask. He is such a little dickhead. How can people not be entertained by this prick? I understand that Kane was only recently unmasked from the commentary. Uh, yes, X-Park um, and the rest of the NWO took Kane out of action and X-Park has taken his mask. It's like Kane will come back and he will have the mask on. We still haven't actually seen his face. Um, but this, I believe, leads into him getting a redesigned mask. He does get properly, properly unmasked um, down the line, which isn't a spoiler because... He's been without the damn thing for years at this stage, you know. He, he is he is the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. He doesn't wear it to the office. <laughs> is he a uh, is he mayor? He is an it's actual actual mayor in real life. Huh. Okay. Um. So he's not actually horribly disfigured then. No, that's all made up for telly. That's going to be a fun one when we get to it. Oh my goodness, that storyline. Oh, so many twists and turns. So many things that should never have been broadcast. Goodness gracious. So excited. Um, I don't know how I don't know how I can pretend to do that storyline tactfully, dear listeners. Uh, so as the referee talks to Bradshaw, X-Pac loosens a turnbuckle cover, exposing the metal hook ring underneath. What a villain. Uh, as the match gets underway, Bradshaw overpowers the much smaller X-Park and the fans deafeningly chant, X-Park sucks. This followed him to arenas around the world. He was not <laughs> well-liked. Excellent. Uh, he's, he's a guy that, I like as, as an adult fan, I really appreciate how good he is. But, ooh, I hated this bugger as a kid. <laughs> he's such an annoying sod. That's the game. That's what he was doing, though. He got you. He did. He did. It's like it's like right when I'm round at my nana's house and she's got the soaps on and she'll be watching Emmerdale mm-hmm. and like there'll be some character who's like a serial killer because it's a it's a telly soap and there's always a serial killer and they'll be like oh oh he's really evil he's oh he's nasty oh I don't like him you're like no no Emmerdale isn't real it's not a documentary <laughs> yeah. it's made up for telly. Woman. You know, yeah, if they broadcast it, I think that would mean that ITV were <laughs> complicit in murders, and that's not allowed. But yeah, it's the, same, it's the same exact thing. Like, the way that old ladies fall for TV soaps, yeah. when you're a dumb little kid, you fall for the antics and shenanigans of X-Park being a prick. Soon enough, of course, uh, X-Park works the legs <coughs> of Bradshaw, takes him down to the ground, rams his face into the exposed turnbuckle ring and reopens that cut on his forehead. More on which later. Uh, Bradshaw is pissing blood from the forehead at this stage. Um, it's. It, I thought this was great because X-Pac is so much smaller than Bradshaw and yet he's convincingly holding the momentum. Uh, or he was until he went for the mounted ten punches in the corner and Bradshaw gave him a fucking enormous power bomb. That was quite funny. Uh, Bradshaw climbs the top rope, and King contemplates that Bradshaw may want a few jars, meaning beers. More <laughs> on which later, saying that a lot in this one. You are. Mm. It's like a catchphrase. Mm. It's like I'm seeding things for later in the evening. <laughs> um, 
So Bradshaw leaps off with a very awkward-looking shoulder block, gets a two, x gets his foot on the bottom rope to break the referee's count, and the king explains a real referee can always see that, which is a fun little nod to the ongoing storyline with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ric Flair. I'll take your word for that. Uh-huh. Uh, a bit, you know, it's kind of at this point that Bradshaw starts sort of getting a bit more momentum. He nails the fall-away slam, but here comes Scott Hall. Uh, Bradshaw goes for a powerbomb, but Hall gets up on the apron. Bradshaw knocks Hall off and cuts off X-Pac with a big boot. Turns back to Hall, who blasts Bradshaw with X-Pac's nunchucks, which allows X-Pac to crawl in for the cover. But Bradshaw kicks out at two. What a hero, this brave, half-cut Texan. Uh, X-Pac goes for the Bronco Buster. Bradshaw dodges, and X-Pac crotches himself on the bottom turnbuckle, which is very funny, because when a man gets hit on the penis, it is a guaranteed laugh. Absolutely. X-Pac oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, ducks a clothesline from Bradshaw, uh, but Bradshaw carries the momentum through and clatters into Hall, who's on the apron. As the referee turns to deal with Hall, however, X-Pac hits Bradshaw with a low blow. And then, I know, it's it's not funny when the bad guy does it, it's mean there. Then <laughs> uh, he hits the X-Factor to pick up the win at 8 minutes 49. I, I thought this was surprisingly decent, considering it's on paper this is a mismatch. These two should not have had a good match. I thought this was pretty all right. What do you reckon? Um, there is definitely some kind of difference. Oh. I have no knowledge about them previously, though. So, again, <laughs> I'm just taking your word for it. Um, it. It does seem like one of these should definitely have won. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them indeed won. Um, yes, but <laughs> I'm just going on the size difference. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, hey, it was nice, though, when he caught him and gave him a little bit of a cuddle. <laughs> He's a happy guy, Bradshaw. Uh, well, well so this is kind of the thing, because Bradshaw's not only much bigger than x but he's famous for being a brawler. There's even a reference on commentary during the match to him being in barroom fights and generally winning <laughs> so yeah on paper like I say a mismatch but the way they handle it I thought was really good I made it it was convincing and even though it was the screwy finish which is to be expected with the bad guy team yeah it came out quite well uh, fun fact I did check I did check to see whether Xbox did in fact return to the UK and yes he did for one match in 2016 at a uh, a smaller time show so there we go well he was allowed so it's he okay was, he was allowed he wasn't a hypocrite. I am genuinely interested to... to I, do you know what? I feel like tagging him on Twitter because he's very good at responding to his fans. Be like, listen, Sean, if you'd have lost this match, would you have worked that match with Paige's dad? Just got to know. <laughs> okay. Backstage, Jonathan Coachman interviews The Undertaker. Undy says he's in a bad mood. He says that Triple H eats, sleeps, and drinks. This business... Very odd pause in his sentence. (laughs) Undertaker puts Triple H over pretty well, I thought, but he promises he'll be shattering his dreams and any thoughts of revenge that Triple H has will rest in peace. Is that his thing? That's his thing. That's his catchphrase. A little bit meandering, I thought, this, this interview. As if Undertaker had been caught by surprise by by the entire backstage interview area that they set up. I love that those happen, though. 
it's um, it's a good little way to help them sort of clear the ring ready for the next match, and you know, so there's always something that the fans can be. <gasps> is that what it is? Sneaky, yeah, sneaky. It, it's it's good stuff. <coughs> because, you know, it constantly means that there's something that's uh, occupying the fans in attendance. You don't obviously you don't want them to get sort of bored sitting there watching nothing on a, on a weekly broadcast. You know, for the TV shows, they can get they can work around it with ad breaks and things like that. But for the pay per views, generally they alternate match segment, match segment, things like that. They should do like workout routines in the middle. Oh, that'd be so cool! Like that—that's that, actually a good idea, man. Like you know, have you know how how you can build the body of a WWE superstar? Yeah, see, oh, I know wrestling. Man. I know, I know what wrestling fans want. Steve, I think you need to be getting on to Vince McMahon on Twitter and be like, listen, pal, I'm going to revolutionise your premium live events, as you call them. I will. Let's do it. And stop sexualising women so much. Also that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, are you ready for things to get hardcore? I mean, it's already past my bedtime. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Because we have a hardcore championship match. Stephen Richards, the champion, defending against Booker T, the challenger. Yes, this was good. I remember see, there were lots of like punches and stuff. It was cool. <laughs> this is this is kind of an odd one. It feels like they kind of didn't want to embrace the weaponry too much. Mm-hmm. Um, to that end, Stevie opens the match with an arm drag, and Booker fires back by simply kicking the piss out of him, which I thought was great. <laughs> Um, yep. Fun little spot at the beginning though Booker throws a bunch of weapons into the ring And Stevie doesn't want any part of them And he just throws them straight out again <laughs> Out the other side um, But as he's as he turns to mock the uh, the audience Booker slides in behind him And blasts him in the head with a serving tray Which was quite funny Excellent. The, uh, the mop was my favourite the, Yeah the, the strange amount of cleaning equipment They have under the ring tonight Lots of brooms and mops yeah, um, I, 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 I saw you had uh, I saw you had a note on one of your notes that uh, summed up an excellent thing on commentary when he pulls out the uh, the mop. Yep, and um, <laughs> calls him a very dangerous janitor, which <laughs> I absolutely loved. Uh, but yeah, his um, his little flurry of hits was good. Booker. Booker's, yeah. He's very good. He is a, he's one of the better wrestlers that uh, they had at this point. It's, it, this, this is kind of slumming it for Booker T, because he should be higher up the card. They're slowly building him. Like, the Hardcore Championship is kind of a comedy belt, really, and he's sort of above that, shall we say. But it's hardcore. It is hardcore. That's not funny. Well, the thing is, when you, when you have a good hardcore match and it's done well... It can be really, really good, but a lot of the ones they were doing week to week, particularly on like uh, the Sunday Night Heat show, which was like the syndicated show, uh, it was kind of very safe, very gentle kind of like comedy wrestling. So it was kind of not living up to the full potential. Uh, speaking of not living up to the full potential, King says Stevie is bloody crackers. Christ. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Carry on, yeah. Booker suplexes Stevie, <coughs> brings a trash can into the ring. Sorry, sorry, this is a UK show, I'll reiterate that. Booker suplexes Stevie and brings a rubbish bin into the ring. Yes, it was a shit bin. Uh, uh, JR says, uh, he calls Booker Bubba by accident and then no. apologises and says he has Bubba Dudley on his mind. And hey, don't we all? <laughs> I often think of Bubba Ray Dudley. 
What's he up to now? Probably making inflammatory remarks on his podcast again. Oh, that rascal. Sounds right. Uh, I have no idea who it is. But it sounds <laughs> right. he, there's a... <clears throat> okay, I'm, did you catch this? Because there's a remark that JR makes on commentary, and I do not get it. He says at one point, Look, kids, there's Big Ben. <laughs> I, didn't I don't know why he said it. Like Booker's got Stevie against the barricade, and like sort of you know just doing the you know punching him in front of the front row fans gives them something to, to cheer about. Okay. And Jr. says, "Look, kids, there's Big Ben." <laughs> I don't understand why he did that. Did something slip out and they just cut the camera? <laughs> we can only imagine, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we get a bit where Stevie slows things down with a headlock, and uh, JR compares Booker T to uh, Lennox Lewis and says that he is long and lanky. Which I don't think are words I'd use to describe either of those men, if I'm honest with you. No. Um, the only adjective that I think um, I picked up on that I agreed with was, uh, well, big strong hands. Well, yes, those hands. The the big ham hocks. Yep. <laughs> uh, we get a bit where Stevie wedges a bin between the top and middle turnbuckle and goes to Irish whip Booker into it, but Booker reverses it, and hilariously, Stevie runs chest first into the bin. The big yeah. silly wanker. See, I'm allowed to use the British slang. Don't yeah. don't don't appropriate my culture, Jerry Lawler. How dare you? Yeah, because you know what it means. Yeah. King says it looks like Booker fancies a bevy. Shut up, idiot. <laughs> and then we get the moment that I know you adored most of all. Booker gets oh, in the ring with a unsquashed bin. He's, you know, he had to go outside to find a, a new one. Uh, and puts it on Stevie's head before leaping off the top rope to drop kick it into Stevie's face. It was excellent. It was straight out of, like, dude, where's my car? Oh, yeah. Now, on any normal show, that would have been the finish, but somehow Stevie kicks out at two. Uh, he hits Booker with a Stephen kick and gets a two of his own. Uh, all of his moves are named after himself, by the way. We have the Stephen kick for the super kick, and instead of a DDT, he has the Stevie T. He's, fu- he's fucking excellent. I love Stephen Richards so much. Um, Booker fights back, and he hits the bookend to win the Hardcore Championship at nine minutes and 50 seconds. But, unfortunately... About two seconds after Booker's music hit, Crash Holly sneaks into the ring with a referee of his own and rolls Booker up to win the title, and King calls Crash a little pillock. This was very sneaky and ultimately pointless. It was very, very (laughs) silly. Uh, Booker gives Crash an axe kick and pins him for three and immediately regains the belt. Then Just Incredible and Tommy Dreamer hit the ring and double-team Booker. Uh, Dreamer nails Booker with a... Exactly, such a good name. (laughs) (laughs) Dreamer nails Booker with a Dreamer DDT, then brings a table into the ring and he Incredible set it up. Booker tries to fight back, uh, evades a superkick from Credible, which hits Dreamer, and then Booker gives Credible a superkick of his own to fight the two of them off. And then, to make the fans happy... He delivers the Spinneroony. D- Stiv, what do you think of the Spinneroony? Did we love it? Oh, was that what that was? Okay. That's the Spinneroony. Yes, that, that was very good. It's <laughs> great. I loved on commentary how, like, like even though Booker is kind of the good guy at this point, they're, they're hmm. transitioning him into being a good guy character at this point. 
<laughs> like JR still hates the Spinneroonie and thinks it's the dumbest <laughs> shit he's ever seen. I love the I love the continuity. Uh, unfortunately for Booker, though, Jazz hits the ring and gives Booker a low blow, which allows Stevie to flapjack him onto the table. Yes, onto the table because it doesn't break. Uh, he pins him, pins him for a two count. Yeah, ooh, pins him for a two count. Um, and Booker kicks out. But like clearly, clearly it was obvious what was meant to happen. So they just go for the spot again. Um, <laughs> Mercifully, the table does break on the second attempt, uh, and Stevie picks up the pin and regains the Hardcore Championship. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that table not breaking killed the crowd a little bit. I love the way there was just a sign in the crowd there that just said pardon. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a more polite way of saying what? Yeah, I like that. Uh, I... What what did you think to this one? I I thought it was okay. I mean, I I would say this is probably the match that I thought sagged the most on the card. Honestly, book is book is very charismatic. Stevie's a lot of fun, but the match didn't do anything for me. I got to be honest. Like the the trash can stuff, the cookie sheet spot, sorry, mm. rubbish bin and serving tray. They <laughs> they they didn't do much interesting or innovative with them really it was kind of by the numbers but obviously you're not a wrestling fan so you don't know that it's by the numbers so what say well, you i mean mostly this one stood out to me as being so far in the event quite violent compared to the rest mm. was, was um, that the use of weaponry do you think it was it was maybe that but i was thinking more of actual punches <laughs> Booker is really going to town on Stevie with some of those hits, I guess. Yeah, say. I mean, like, he'd seen some kicks before, but it's mostly, like, grapples and throws and stuff. Sure. But this seemed to have more, like, fighting. Wow. Nothing pretty in a hardcore match. We get a recap of Brock Lesnar murdering the absolute dog shit out of Matt and Jeff Hardy. Fantastic! And then backstage, Sean Stasiak is accosted by Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. Heyman tells dipshit Sean to stay out of the match and let Brock do all the work. Yes, Stasiak is to be Brock's tag partner. Oh, God, the poor bastards in attendance. Uh, so then we have this tag team match. Up next, then, is the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff, versus Sean Stasiak and Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman at ringside. And the fans do love them some Hardy Boys. I, I want to bring up this thing on commentary, because this blew my goddamn mind. JR explains that Lita had surgery on her broken neck, Lita being Matt's girlfriend at the time, and the the sort of third member of the Hardys team, Team Extreme. Gotcha. So Lita broke her neck doing her own stunts uh, on the TV series Dark Angel. Oh, yes. And she... Yeah, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's 2002. Um... So the past Tuesday of this uh, of this week, when the show took place, Lita underwent successful neck surgery, uh, and then King demands to know why she's not there. Wow! And then JR's like, "She had neck surgery. She broke her <laughs> neck." And he's like, "Well, she doesn't have to wrestle. She could just come out here and walk around, can't she?" I'm like, shut up, you fucking dipshit! She could absolutely just lay on the bed next yeah. to the ring. As everybody knows, when you've had neck surgery, doctors always recommend you take a lengthy flight to England. Mm-hmm. And wrestle people. Yeah, <laughs> wrestle people. Fucking moron. <laughs> um, 
Stasiak rushes the ring and uh, starts the match, ignoring Heyman's orders. Heyman from ringside bellows, what are you doing? And demands that Stasiak tag out. But he does not. Uh, the Hardys he tag... gets the fucking shit oh, Doesn't he? It's great. Uh, the Hardys tag back and forth. Matt nails the side effect on Stasiak. They go for poetry in motion, but Lesnar pulls Sean out of the corner and tags himself in. Whereupon, he proceeds to manhandle the goddamn out of Matt Hardy. Oh, it's so much fun to watch. Uh, he gets distracted by Stasiak, though, which allows Matt to fight back. But Brock catches Matt out of the air for a backbreaker into an astonishing whiplash slam. <laughs> Heyman barks at Lesnar to hurt Matt. Brock obliges with a power slam. Uh, he's basically toying with Matt like he's playing with his food at this point. Jeff is desperately calling for the tag. Brock crushes Matt into the heel corner, then goes for a running shoulder thrust. But Matt dodges at the last second, and Brock wraps himself round the ring post. Stasiak tags himself into the match. Rather to the delight of the crowd, I have to say, because they know this is the best chance the Hardys have to win the match. <laughs> uh, Jeff tags in two, fights, uh, fights it on with his signature leg drop and the whisper in the wind to pick up a two. Matt gives Stasiak the twist of fate. Jeff nails the swanton bomb and the Hardys pick up the win at 6 minutes 42. Fans delighted, but they don't have long to celebrate because Brock hits the ring, uh, delivers his still as yet unnamed finishing move to both of the Hardys and gives Stasiak a spinebuster followed by a spin-out powerbomb knocking the shit out of them. Oh my god! I mean, this was basically two of the seven dwarves take on the BFG. <laughs> See, I thought this was, like, for what it was, a, a less than seven minute tag match. It was pretty fun. But the highlight was just watching Brock Lesnar throw people around. Because that's my very favourite thing to watch. <laughs> oh, so, um, <laughs> why do so many wrestlers, at least in this era, that it looks like, like to act possessed? How did that <laughs> start happening? Well, I assume you mean Sean Stasiak being a bit. Of a, yeah. a nut job. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the character that he's playing at the minute. He's uh, he's from Planet Stasiak, which is basically like the inside of his own mind. He is a cartoonish mm-hmm. nutter, and yeah. he likes he likes to rhyme things with his name because people might think he's a little crazyac. And Brock Lesnar has a tattoo on his back, but he's not from Planet Stasiak. I feel and like it, his act needs some work. It, I'm gonna be honest. It's a bit <laughs> shit. <laughs> the upshot of it is like there's kind of a feeling that the whole entire character was given to him as a prank on him <laughs> that he might not have been in on because <laughs> wow. like the whole pretty much every response to every interview he did would be like another wrestler watching on going what the hell is he talking about he's an absolute goob <laughs> <laughs> like he would like like this previous uh, week's episode of Raw to this uh, this pay per view, he had a match with Lesnar uh, in which he made all these grand claims of defeating Brock and got knocked the fuck out in about a minute, which was joyous, quite frankly. Fair, yeah. So yeah, was he actually just not liked as a person? Not tremendously. There was a there was an incident sometime before this. Um, on his first tenure in the company, where he uh, he was found to have been recording uh, the other superstars with a tape recorder in his bag, 
against their knowledge. Um, when that got out, he wasn't very popular, as you might imagine. <laughs> Is that um, like in universe or in real? Life? Oh no, that's in real life. Oh wow! Yeah, um, not the smartest thing he's ever done. Uh, was let go from the company not too long after that. Came back in after the buyout of WCW, and here he is now being shit upon. Which is, Ooh. yeah, don't 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 be dumb, guys. Sean Stasiak's dad, by the way, uh, was a former. World champion for WWF back in the old days. So uh, how uh, how far the apple doth fall from the tree? What was his uh, name? Uh, Stan Stasiak. Stan the Man Stasiak, who uh, famously used the heart punch, where he would literally punch you in the heart, and that uh, is a move still used to this day. So you know, there we go. The influence of Stan the Man still with us. So we see footage from the charity dinner that the company held the previous night, where they auctioned off items in aid of the Make a Wish Foundation, which. I think, to be fair, you can't really argue with that, can you? Uh, the prizes uh, auctioned off included a VIP trip to WrestleMania 19, which uh, was still yet to be confirmed in terms of its location, uh, and an autographed steel chair. Someone from THQ, uh, the wrestling... Uh, well, I should say the WWE video game license holders, uh, paid £14,000 for the WrestleMania trip, It did. Now, um, I'm going to be honest though, £14,000 for a VIP trip to one of the greatest wrestling events of all time, or a chair that's been drawn on. Honestly, yeah. probably worth the expense for the daft old bastard. <laughs> but did that include flights? I certainly hope so. You would hope. I really would. Did you get some backstage room with you? It's like, I could maybe see you. Oh, that. almost, almost yeah. certainly. Almost certainly. Uh, at ringside, King wants to know if the 8x10 that he autographed sold for a lot of money at the event. <laughs> and then we get this... It's it's kind of cute. Like, JR is really struggling to come up with a punchline for that. And then, yeah, he j yeah. and then he's like, reluctantly, he just says, oh, yes, I, I, I bought the photo. And King's like, oh! <laughs> like, Bless genuinely him. touched. He's like, yeah, I'm a good friend. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, backstage, then. Coach is with William Regal. Regal says he is a truly oh, great Briton and is disgusted by the other people in Britain, underachieving dossers with divvy children. He's allowed to use the song as well. He's fucking great, man. Uh, he calls he calls Spike Dudley a shite hawk. Imagine <laughs> ever booing this man. Couldn't be me. I think this is my favourite segment. He's so good, man. William Regal's amazing. He's from Blackpool, but he speaks, speaks like he is not. Yes, he, like, if, if, <laughs> if, if ever you hear him talking in his normal voice, this is not mm. how he talks uh, IRL, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he, he, the character he plays is sort of well-spoken, upper-class, upper-crust, yeah. blue-blood snob. Um, he, he's delightful, man. Honestly, one of the guys who I think more than almost anyone in the business just gets it. Like, he just understands mm. the value of being entertaining. Yeah. Um, kind of pays off uh, for him in this next match, uh, because we have the European Championship on the line as Little Spike Dudley, LSD, is defending mm. against William Regal. Um, before we get to the match, there's a fan sign in the crowd that reads Regal, your mum's a lizard. <laughs> now... Was, um, okay. You might have to go into detail on that for me. 
<laughs> I have no idea. No idea. Is it that he's meant to be royalty? Oh, that's a good point. Maybe it is. Because as we know, the royal family famously lizards. Exactly. Such is the allegation made by David Icke, and also it's true. <laughs> Now, call me cynical if you must, but I suspect a degree of tampering uh, with the crowd audio. Uh, because the crowd seem to get a little bit quiet when Regal comes out, and then as soon as his music fades out, they get rather loud again. So I get the feeling they lowered the audio from the crowd to mask any cheers he was getting. Um, and I kind of feel like... I feel as though there's, there's a little bit of messing around with like, piped-in booze. Um to hide the regal chants that start during the match, and some piped-in cheers that do a very bad job of masking the booze that Spike is getting. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, interesting. Uh, well, it's his home country. People are going to cheer him. Exactly. Regal's very difficult to boo. Like Generally speaking, even when he was being the worst of the worst, any time he was in the UK, people yeah. did not boo him, because he's just <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Uh, I think this was the most fun match. It, it's a it's a good laugh this one. Um, King says that Spike is titchy, meaning small or diminutive, <laughs> and then Jim Ross blindsides him by asking if a British woman has used that term on him, and King actually <laughs> can't prevent himself from laughing at the comeback. <laughs> uh, Regal starts things off slow, but the crowd are hot for this. They're really into it for the hometown boy. Uh, Spike quickens the pace a little bit, hits the old running headbutt to the gut. Goes for the Dudley dog, but Regal throws him away. Spike lands badly and reacts in agony from what appears to be an injured ankle. Um, a trainer hits the ring and cuts Spike's boot off him. King says that the uh, the trainer requires a syrup. Syrup and fig. Wig. He was a bald man. Jesus. Uh, uh, Spike is helped up the ramp by the ref and the trainer. And Regal hits him from behind. Ooh, what a villain. Boo. Uh, throws him back into the ring, slams his ankle into the mat, and the fans, of course, offended horribly by this, just approve massively and start chanting for Eagle. <laughs> uh, throws Spike's ankle into the ropes, then stamps on it, gives him a massive double underhook powerbomb, covers him, pulls the shoulder off the mat at two, though, just to be cocky. Uh, but Spike catches Regal off guard with a roll-up and wins the match in 4 minutes and 50 sec uh, 56 seconds. But it's not done there because Regal reaches down into his tights, pulls out the old brass knuckles, blasts Spike on the jaw with the power of the punch, and the fans are, of course, delighted. Oh, he's such a bastard. Oh, he's a sod, isn't he? <laughs> he's a he's a wrong'un. He's a right rum-do, that fella. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I love seeing... Regal at his best, at his, his villainous worst. Um, him getting a good welcome from the English fans is really nice. Much like Spike, short but sweet. Yeah. So, did did William Regal um, start off as a British wrestler, or did he jump straight into American? No, he was. Uh, he he started on uh, Blackpool Pier. Um, oh wow! They he was kind of. He wasn't a wrestler originally. It was the old carny trick of like, you know, what one wrestler will, uh, you know, he offers an open challenge to anyone from the crowd that can beat him, um, yeah. and they'll give you X amount of money. Um, and it, they they always did it and made it look like 
the first guy just very nearly beat him, but of course the the scam is that he's also yeah. a wrestler. Uh, Regal quite often threw his hat into that area and tried to beat the wrestler when he was not yet a wrestler. Um, <laughs> and he didn't win, but he kept coming back, and eventually that got the attention of the promoters, and they were like, well, maybe we can train this guy. Um, so yeah, he, he did... Yeah, it's quite nice, actually. So then he eventually sort of worked his way up through the ranks of British wrestling, moved to America for a contract with WCW, um, departed from there, and became pretty well a mainstay with WWE until early this year, actually. He's been with them for a very long time. Uh, he's now in AEW, and he is the manager of Blackpool Combat Club, who are fucking great. They just like the whole thing is they just beat the shit out of you. They're fantastic. What more could you want? <laughs> Alrighty then. Up next, we get a little recap of Rooney of Stone Cold Steve Austin's recent tribulations with Ric Flair and the NWO and Big Show joining the NWO. That's a new world order, by the way, for you, Steve. I um I think I knew that somehow. Oh, there we go. Uh, it is, in fact, semi-main event time as Ric Flair makes his entrance wearing a referee shirt. Uh, Flair gets on the mic and thanks the audience. He says that Nick Patrick will be the referee for the match, but that he, Ric Flair, will be the second referee to ensure the match is fair. Um, mm -hmm. This is kind of playing into the recent storyline developments with him and Austin. Uh, Flair was guest referee at the previous pay-per-view, uh, in Austin's match with Undertaker, didn't spot Austin's foot on the ropes, um, which meant that he should have not counted the pin, but he did, and Austin was marked as the loser in the match, therefore. So, special guest referee Ric Flair judges this next contest between The Big Show and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know about you, I kind of got the impression that the fans might have liked Stone Cold a little bit. He's literally one of the only three wrestlers that I remember having a presence in the world mm. since this kind of era. Oh, sure. I mean, the, he, he comes out and he gets crowd pop of the night and it is not fucking close. He, like, th this is... And, and we... Obviously, it was difficult to appreciate this at the time, but looking back now, we can see he is the biggest superstar in the history of the company. And frankly... I dare say, in the history of the industry, um, and like th th this was, this was par for the course for every, every place that you know that they perform at. You know, he'd get reaction of the night, yeah. which makes it kind of a shame that for the last couple of months he's been stuck in this really meandering plot line. So it's it's nice having him be in the semi main event of the evening. Actually, it's like he's doing something. He's got an established name like Big Show against him. It's not just him. I mean, obviously, the rest of the, the NWR are established names, but they're not sort of cemented as 2002 WWF guys at this stage, you know. Uh, so, sustained crowd noise for Austin at the, the start of the match. The show says he'll break Austin in half, and Austin flips him off. Which <laughs> is understandable. Yes, it's fair fucks entirely. <laughs> so, obviously, Big Show has the strength advantage here. Um... Crowd constantly with the uh, the what chants. Yeah, been, I didn't get that. It's it's Stone Cold's thing. One of the, one of his little intimidation techniques. Um, when when someone was saying something to him, he'd cut them off. I'm going what? 
what? You're sort of like constantly goading them. And then that turned into, he'd say something, and the audience would shout, what? To punctuate his yeah. sentences. And then it would turn into, whenever any kind of bad guy that the audience don't like had something to say, they'd constantly bombard them with, what, what, what? And that hasn't gone away to this day. There was one evening where Undertaker got really sick and tired of hearing it. <laughs> and stopped what he was saying to say to the audience, say what if you sleep with your sister? <laughs> Suffice to say, the chants got a little bit quieter after that point for the rest of the night. And the world rejoiced. Yeah. Um, not the only chant of note in this match. The crowd chant at Big Show, you fat bastard. Uh, and Austin genuinely struggles to hide a smirk. <laughs> Yeah, that was brilliant. It was like Richard B. Brown concerts. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, not that I'm saying they're brilliant. <laughs> I was going to say, the only thing less highbrow than pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty sort of, you know, pretty much what you'd expect from this kind of match. Big Show cuts off Austin's momentum with his size and strength. Uh, unlike Austin's match with Undertaker the previous month, Big Show doesn't slow the pace of the match to a crawl. He is letting Austin constantly fight back in. It's not just like, you'll get one move, I'll cut you off, and then I'll sit on you for five minutes, which is what we had at Backlash, which was the dullest shit in the universe. Um, really funny moment, I thought. Austin clubs Show in the face with a Polish hammer, knocks him down to the mat, uh, holds his legs apart, and then he points to something in the crowd. So the referee looks at where Austin's pointing, and while the ref's back to turn, Austin just kicks Show in the dick. <laughs> See, cheating's bad, but it's fine when Stone Cold does it, because it's funny. Yeah, but also, how are you going to literally take down someone that's twice your size? Hey, man, you know, you got it. you got you got to take out the, the lower body, you know? And if, like that, if that means booting him in the willy, then so be it. <laughs> As the crowd loudly chant, you fat bastard, once more, JR tries to sort of dance around it, but King is having none of that, and openly calls JR a fat bastard, which rattles Jim really badly. That was hilarious. Um, they're not actually that fat. No, to be fair, no. I, and, like, to be fair, like, a lot of Big Show, you know, he's billed as £500. I don't know how accurate that is. But because he's a seven-footer, he's pretty well-proportioned. Yeah. Now, in the interest of fairness, there is a point within the next year or so where Big Show really puts on a lot of weight. He does become a fat bastard, it must be said. But, you know, at the end of the day, he pulls it back around. He's, even now, 20 years on, he is quite lean and trim now, it's got to be said, so... Well, he's a TV star now, isn't he? Well, this is it. It's the Big Show show. show. That's it. (laughs) Oh, Big Show's comic chops. Is he actually funny? Ish. He's all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's, he's personable. That's the thing with Big Show. Like he's charismatic and he's likable. I think that's what brings him to things like that. He, I wouldn't say he's an all-time great comic performer or anything, but you know, he's he's got a he's got a likable sort of face. Okay. Cool. Uh, there is a point at which Show steps on Austin's back. And Jim Ross says that will allow Austin to urinate blood for several days. Oh, thank goodness he's allowed. He doesn't need to get the special permit. I always have trouble getting hold of that. I see you got through so much red tape. <laughs> you know, just occasionally, you just want you just want to pee blood, but no. Like, just let me do it, man. <laughs> What's the problem? 
there was a point where Big Show takes his uh, elbow straps down so we can do a big elbow drop to Austin when he's downed. Then, at one point, Show puts one strap back up, making his remaining unsheathed nipple seem a sexy treat. <laughs> it absolutely was. Mm. Lots of big, open-handed slaps from Big Show in this one. And, oh my god, it's like a gun going off. Just full-on force of, like, the open palm is slapping on Austin's chest. Oh, it's brutal. Um, King calls JR fat again, and JR is so unimpressed, he just tells <laughs> King to drop it. <laughs> really mean. Just get the little glimpse by the curtains. Like, stop now. Like, ah, you're going to say I've got a titchy dick, are you? Well, we'll see, motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, show gets uh, Big Show in a sorry. Big Show gets Austin in a bear hug. Austin manages to get out of it by biting him, uh, but Show reapplies the hold. Austin starts to fade. The referee raises his arm and drops it once. He drops it twice. He raises it a third time, and Austin flips the ref off with his raised arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, fights Show off with a series of headbutts. Dives off the second rope with a Luthez press, which honours the recently departed Luthez, who were no longer with us at this point. Uh, the Fez press are a big part of Austin's arsenal, so that's kind of a neat little tribute there. Uh, Austin ducks a clothesline from Big Show. Show splatters the referee by accident with it. Show then turns around into a Stone Cold Stunner who waits for Flair, the second referee, to make the count. But Flair is distracted by the arrival of the NWO. Goes under the ring... Uh, sorry, goes into the ring to make the count. Uh, but Hall and X-Pac drag him out of the ring before he can count three. Flair grabs a mop from under the ring and chases Hall and <coughs> X-Pac off, meaning there is now no referee. So Austin beckons to the back for another ref to come out. To no avail. Turns around into a big old goozle. Uh, but instead of getting... Uh, a choke slam off. Austin fights Show away, uh, but only to eat a big boot to the mouth. Who should hit the ring at this point but Kevin Nash? He's not supposed to be here. He's at home without pay. Uh, Show holds Austin uh, in place as Nash tries to hit Austin with Xbox nunchucks, only for Austin to fight himself free, hit Nash with the Stone Cold Stunner, then gives Big Show a stunner. Then gives him another stunner as the referee recovers. Picks up the win at 15 minutes flat. Flair returns to ringside to chase off Nash with a steel chair. Then returns to the ring and gets on the mic to tell Austin how great he thinks he is. Austin grabs the mic and repeatedly asks, What? Austin <laughs> says he's willing to let bygones be bygones and allows Flair to join in the beer bash. And then gives him a stunner. Which Flair forgets to react to initially. <laughs> <laughs> Austin kicks him in the gut and Flair doesn't even notice he's done it. Well, he's getting on. He's, he's getting on a bit, bless him. He's, he's losing his marbles, isn't it? Um, what, what do you think of this? I, I kind of thought this one sagged a little bit in the middle, but I thought the ending was a lot of fun and made up for it. Yeah, I think the whole thing was quite fun. It's, yeah. it's um, Even if it's just for the spectacle of uh, a guy fighting a guy literally twice his size. Big Show is a big bastard, man. And like it, it's got to be said... And, like, people say this all the time, oh, you know, the, the cameras don't really, you know, they don't capture how big it is. They really don't. If you've ever <laughs> seen them live, and anyone listening to this, if you've seen the show live, you know what I'm talking about. Big Show is enormous in person. He's yeah. a big old lad. We get a recap of Triple H and Undertaker's feud, and from how it's edited, 
you wouldn't think that Backlash was only a couple of uh, weeks ago, because they managed to squeeze a surprising amount of violence into that short time frame, I thought. What the fuck? <laughs> what? He was just Triple H mouthing what the fuck after he got oh. pinned. <laughs> All right, so we have the main event of the evening, which is Undertaker versus Triple H. Fans well beyond Triple H on this one, as well they might be. Now, this one gets interesting as it goes along for reasons that we'll get into. Uh, it starts off fairly standard sort of business. Um, Undertaker, Triple H, a little bit of back and forth between them, exchanging strikes. Spilling outside the ring, the old shortcut. Uh, having a bit more of a brawl than a match, really. Undertaker nails Triple H with a couple of clotheslines, then twists his arm, climbs the turnbuckle to go for old school, but Triple H pulls him to the mat. Jim Ross notes on commentary, Triple H jerking the Undertaker off. The top <laughs> rope! Uh, H pushes the advantage, but Undertaker suckers him in and throws him to the outside. Uh, Triple H bounces Undertaker's head off the commentary table. Oh, yeah! Made a lovely little bang that did. It was great. Yep. Uh, take a get something. I'm just, watch, I'm just watching it through again. It's, it just springs <laughs> up afterwards. Oh it's yeah. Great. Uh, Taker gets on the apron and Triple H charges him from the center of the ring, but Undy catches him with a rope guillotine before slamming into him with a huge old clothesline in the corner. Uh, he nails Triple H with the apron leg drop at one point, so draping him over the apron. That's one of his. Big signature moves, or is it, it certainly becomes so uh, during this era, so that's kind of fun to see. Uh, King mentioned on commentary, <laughs> Undertaker is targeting the formerly injured leg of Triple H, which is a good little bit of strategy. But you were quite surprised. You you messaged me after you watched this, like, was Triple H really injured and out for a year? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was... Well, I was blown away by the... I guess it's probably down to the the physios mm. who weren't there, like how how sure you'd have to be of oh, the God, regime yeah. Absolutely. Of, the, of the rehab. Well, for those of you that don't know, Triple H tore his quadriceps muscle clean off the bone. We'll, we'll be covering that today in uh, our our profile segment later on, dear listeners, so we'll look forward to that. Um, but yeah, he had a, a year of intensive rehab. Uh, it's actually covered. They did a they did a magazine special, like sort of hyping up his return to the ring. Um, depending on where it falls in the time frame, might be covering that one on the Patreon. So you've got that to look forward to. But yeah, it, it was a long and hard old road for Triple H. That one, he shouldn't have been able to walk after that match. And um, not only did he, not only did he walk in the match that he tore the quadriceps muscle, he actually finished the match. The man's insane. Uh, really famous call from Jim Ross at the end of that one. How is he even able to stand is what I want to know. And they used that in the Don't Try This at Home packages for years. Because, like, like, in a way, I mean, as I was saying to you yesterday, just superhuman Triple H. Like, the sheer agony that he must have been in. But yeah, he's he's back in uh, back in the ring now and uh, formerly champion as well at this point. You know, came back, won the belt, and uh, already lost it to Hulk Hogan. So there we go. <laughs> right, it's around this point that something interesting happens. Mm-hmm. Triple H throws Undertaker into the ropes, and Undertaker leans into them so hard 
that the top rope breaks. So one side of the ring is basically out of commission, and all the other t- side of the ropes, the top ropes, are all slackened. Uh, which means for the remainder of the match, they basically have to rewrite on the fly and try to avoid the use of the ropes, otherwise they'll tumble out of the ring and smash their head. Which, incidentally, very nearly happened at a recent live <laughs> event. So, it's not good. It does happen just occasionally. It's very rare, but it does happen. Um, did you pick up on what was said by Triple H immediately after this? No. No, I, I wound it back because I thought, I wonder if they covered for that. And they did. If you listen super carefully, after the rope goes, Triple H tells the referee check the ropes, and he whispers to Undertaker, low blow. Sure enough, Hebner turns his back to them, checks the ropes, Undertaker low blows him. So my guess is Taker was supposed to bounce off the ropes and knock Triple H down to continue the match. They had to think of another way to reverse the momentum. Just consummate professionals thinking on the spot. No panic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty good. Undertaker slaps on a rear chin lock. Triple H fights to his feet and drops him with a side suplex. Both men go for a clothesline, and the mirror impact takes them both down. Uh, Taker goes for a running big boot in the corner. Hunter dodges, and Taker crotches himself. As we've said, hit yourself in the willy. Oh, that's pure comedy gold. (laughs) It just keeps happening. (laughs) It's it's happened like five times tonight. (laughs) Uh, Triple H gives Undertaker a couple of neck breakers. There's a moment after that he goes to Irish whip him into the ropes, and then there's this split second of realisation, like, shit, I can't do that. <laughs> so he just pick, <laughs> picks him up instead for a spine buster, and it looks yeah. brutal, but it looks great. Uh, goes for the pedigree, Taker shoves him into the corner, and hits him with a big boot. Undertaker goozles Triple H and goes for the choke slam, but Triple H counters into a modified DDT, a little bit messy, picks up a two count. And then it starts to get even worse. <laughs> Triple H goes for an Irish whip. Uh, Undertaker reverses it and hammer throws Triple H into the corner and the turnbuckle ring snaps off. (laughs) Triple H goes for the pedigree. Undertaker escapes and counters with a chokeslam for a two. Uh, Taker gets a chair, brings it into the ring and argues with the referee. Turns around and gets the chair kicked into his face by Triple H for a two count. Um, Taker then nails a DDT for two of his own. Ah, Triple H hits a clothesline for a two. There's a lot of back and forth in this late stage. So then they repeat the Irish whip hammer throw spot into another corner, and the entire turnbuckle falls off. I mean, this ring was absolutely made in Britain. Oh, 100%. It was fucked. This was totally borrowed from some shitty little indie promotion. No way (laughs) did they bring their own ring overboard at this point. This was some dog shit ring they got from some nobody who who I'm sure they never worked with again. <laughs> it's amazing that it lasted. Like the thing I thought is like if that rope had gone while Taker was walking on it for old school, that could have been a broken Ooh. neck. Yeah. It was not to be though, fortunately. Uh, Triple H rebounds into a snake eyes from the Undertaker, and it's amazing that, that doesn't knock another turnbuckle off in the process. Uh, but before Taker can capitalize, Triple H hits him with a running high knee, nails the pedigree, picks up the win at 1431 to send the fans home happy. As Undertaker yeah. leaves in a huff, JR says we can bet our last pound this matter is not concluded. And indeed, it is not. He said pound, because that's what we use. Yeah, it's not a dollar, it's different. (laughs) 
better match than either man had against their respective opponents at Backlash, but still below the best work of both of them, I thought. A little methodical in the early going, but I actually thought that like the ring breaking added a bit of a new facet to the whole thing, so that was fun. Yeah, it was it's it made it look um more more extreme. Yeah. A lot more, more brutal, more violent. Yeah, there were there were lots of acrobatics in this. Hmm. Taker is surprisingly athletic for a big bugger. Hmm. I mean you're talking about yeah. the six foot ten and he moves like stink off a shovel when he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh that's the end of the pay-per-view. Um, for the pay-per-views on this podcast, um, I am going to be asking my co-hosts what they thought the high point or high points and low point or low points were. So uh, uh, what say you for your high and low? I definitely enjoyed the bin ordeal. <laughs> um. I enjoyed William Regal saying Divi Children. Absolutely. <laughs> Dosses with Divi Children. <laughs> um, I enjoyed Stone Cold knocking out Ric Flair and then pouring beer into his mouth. Of course. Which surely is against health and safety. You would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, actually I think Booker T had some really good uh, moments in his match. I think that might have been the highlight, honestly. Hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad that you think that, because strangely enough, I had that match down as my low point. But that's not to say I didn't, yeah. en- I didn't enjoy it. Like For me, it's, I, I think it's because like the hardcore spots they were using are that familiar for mm. me. It kind of felt a little bit tried. But since it's new to you, since you've not seen it before, I guess it's a different perspective, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, it it seemed a bit um, more kind of no holds barred than the rest, and it was. Yeah. Hmm. I have uh, the opening match as my like number one top point. RVD and Eddie really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I got to say, like on the whole, I thought this was a damn good show. Yeah. Um, no, um, watching it. I mean, it used to be on in the background sure. when I was like uh, at house parties when I was younger. Um, yeah. I don't know if it kind of just brought that kind of time back in my head because, <laughs> like, it was it was fun. It was it was fun to watch. Yeah. And I wasn't really expecting that going in. I I think like I I I'd be honest with you. Even the weaker matches, I thought was still fine. There wasn't anything on this card that I thought was bad. There was nothing I thought was a stinker. Uh, yeah. Comfortably more enjoyable than the last pay per view that we covered on the podcast. And mm-hmm. i got to say, about damn time we saw the women wrestle a match of proper length rather than a two-minute filler match, so that was nice. Yeah, they did well. I don't know what any of the moves were or who any of them were, <laughs> Well, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't expect you to know those things, <laughs> but it, it does make me happy to know that you did enjoy it. So, ultimately, Steve, as a non-fan, my question to you is, do you think you could be convinced to watch more off the back of this? I'm sure I could. Um, oh, I ladies and gentlemen, much... how many years? Well, how many years have I known you now? It's going <laughs> to be a good like ten years since we met in person. Oh, at least, yeah. And then I know I knew you before then, online, yeah. and like finally, I got him. I got him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> got him under the spell. 
I'm not admitting to being converted yet. Mm. I can just maybe watch another couple of these. We'll see. Well, uh, well, <laughs> if, if you'll if you'll come back, we'll have you on and uh, maybe do another one. How's that sound? Absolutely brilliant. I I don't know about you. I've had a good old time talking about this with you, man. Yeah, no, it, it's it's honestly like I say, it's been fun. I wasn't expecting it, but yeah, it was it was fun to get into. And at the end of the day, what more can you want from any kind of show than for it to be fun? Says I. Yeah. But before we close things off, oh, Steve, we're going to go from fun to distinctly unfun. Oh no. For now, I have to regale you of a very important moment in wrestling history and company history, because the immediate ramifications will be manifold. This is an important moment in the history of the WWF, as it was, and E as it will be two nights from now. As we recall the details of The Plane Ride from Hell. Hit me. Now, this was, of course, the return journey from the UK back home to America. Uh, To set the scene, the return flight was delayed. Now, some sources at the time believed it uh, to be a delay of around 30 minutes to an hour. We now know it was, in fact, a seven-hour delay. (laughs) Rather a lot of the talent scheduled for the flight decided to fill those extra seven hours by drinking rather more alcohol than they probably should have. Okay. Uh, To make matters worse, the minibar on the plane was topped up, thus the drinking continued. Certain other substances may have been uh, (laughs) partaken of as well. I can neither confirm nor deny what they may be, of course. I was not there. This is partly partly hearsay, but uh, definitely happened, shall we say. (laughs) It was cork, wasn't it? It was like fuckloads of cork. Do you know, honestly, I, I wouldn't... I don't know if it would have been that. It's it's not unheard of uh, for wrestlers to... Well, certain high-profile wrestlers to make use mm. of nose powder, but it was pro- <laughs> there, were, there were probably more sort of intoxicating drugs at use, if, if indeed any were, allegedly, he says. Okay. So let's run through the bullet point list. Uh, an inebriated Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, decided to play one of his famous ribs. That's uh, the wrestling term for a practical joke. Now, Hennig is a famous, renowned ribber from uh, his days in the business, and he decides to go for the old shaving foam slap. What a classic. We all know this one. Squirt some (laughs) shaving foam into your hand and just (laughs) clap somewhere around the head with it. Oh, it's fun for all the family. Now, Kurt rather intelligently decided that he would do this to Brock Lesnar. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. How could he even fit on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> two seats, you know, armrest up. Okay. Um, okay. Now the two of them previously had a little bit of a, a, a bit of back and forth about which of them was the greatest amateur wrestler that Minnesota had produced. Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of rivalry going on. The shaving foam incident saw them put this to the test as the two of them started <laughs> beating the shit out of one another right. in the aisle of the plane. Almost opening the emergency door <laughs> while the plane was in flight. Oof! Mm. I thought this was all on the uh, memory. Oh no! It, oh, it's getting so much worse now. Hennig uh, was released from the company three days later as a result of this. Uh, the ordinarily quiet and solitary Lesnar, for his part, was not punished as Hennig was viewed as the instigator of the fight. Uh, there was allegedly another incident involving Brock uh, at this show, but. 
it's largely uncorroborated, so I'm not going to sort of get into it. But suffice to say, Brock's name had been brought up a couple of times in uh, angry complaints by wrestlers. But ultimately, he kept his job. Uh, so maybe not a great deal of truth to some of those reports, shall we say. Uh, that's that's mild. That's mild. We're still on the mild end of the scale. Don't you worry. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Next up, Goldust. Uh drunkenly serenaded his ex-wife, Terry. Uh, an incident that was so mortifyingly embarrassing to all the bystanders, i.e. the entire plane, that Goldust had to be told to stop by JR, who was head of talent relations at the time. Uh, for this embarrassing poor conduct, Goldust was given a fine. We are, again, still on the lighter end of the scale. <laughs> That's nothing. If that had been where it ended, it wouldn't have been that bad, honestly. Uh, looking back, if only Goldust drunkenly singing to Terry had been the worst. My goodness. <laughs> slightly, okay, I'm worried now. Slightly, uh, slightly worse now. Backstage uh, road agent Michael Hayes, that's one of the guys uh, responsible for helping put the matches together. Um, he got into a drunken scuffle with Bradshaw. Um in one of the most intelligent moves that any human has ever done, he decided it would be a really good idea to punch famously hard bastard Bradshaw, whose cut on his forehead was reopened and started absolutely pissing blood again. Oh no. Now Bradshaw responded in his usual calm demeanour and knocked Hayes out with a single punch. Yeah. Uh, as Hayes slept off this drunken stupor, <laughs> X-Park, who was sick of Hayes' mistreatment of him backstage... Cut Michael Hayes' mullet off. Oh man! <laughs> As an absolute brilliant little twist in the tale, there. Seemingly, neither Bradshaw nor X Park were punished because everyone generally agreed Hayes deserved it for being a twat. <laughs> so that's wonderful. <clears throat> um. Now, before we get into the really heavy stuff, mm. it is worth. Yeah, I feel like it's going to take a turn. <laughs> it's going to take a turn for the so much worse. Like again. Even if that were the worst, it would still not have been so bad. So, jumping forward a little bit here in the timeline. Um, word of this flight and the things I'm about to tell you included kind of got out through horrified rumours and whispers, shall we say. So Jim Ross, he did a weekly blog on uh, what would, of course, become WWE.com. Uh, and on his blog, he noted, quote, The flight was about seven hours in length and at times was low-lighted by a handful of people who consumed too much alcohol and consequently acted like children whose parents were away and left the liquor cabinet unlocked. Mm. Now, a lot of the reports at the time uh, stated that Scott Hall, uh, who was a recovering alcoholic, actually mm. stayed out of trouble and slept through the flight. Oh. Which... Is the kind of thing you you th you, sort of, you read that and you think, oh god, what a good what a good guy, what a guy that that must have been taken a lot of courage <laughs> for everyone around right. him to be absolutely off their face. Hmm. However, it later emerged that there was actually an element of closing ranks to protect Hall. He was assuredly not sober for the flight, unfortunately. He was accused of sexually inappropriate conduct towards a pair of flight attendants, uh, supposedly licking the face of one of them at one point, uh, pulling one of them down by her top, and uh, I believe tearing her buttons and exposing her, uh, the top of her cleavage. Mm. 
So, not great. Uh, Upon landing, Hall was so intoxicated, he had to be pushed through customs in a wheelchair by Just Incredible. And to his credit, Credible tried to convince onlookers that Hall was suffering from a medical condition. Um, Unfortunately, Credible doing his best to look out for his friend would have no effect on Hall's ultimate fate, which... Dear listeners, we'll mention on the next episode of the podcast, because Hall only has one more appearance with the company now. Uh, But, even that is not the worst, I fear. Jesus. Mm. Perhaps the most infamous incident of them all involved Ric Flair. Now, Flair in the 80s and 90s uh, was famous for drinking people under the table. Flair was so drunk... He was strutting up and down the aisles in his uh, his wrestling robe and nothing else. Okay. He was accused of blocking one of the flight attendants from getting past him in the galley. And reports differ on exactly what happened here. They, there's a little bit of divergence. But a common thread in most of them is that Flair exposed his penis to the flight attendants. And That's at enough. least one report accuses him of forcing them to touch his penis by grabbing their hand and holding it to him. Now, Flair has consistently denied these allegations, but recollections of him exposing himself on the flight seem a little too commonplace from people who were there for there to not be at least a grain of truth to them. The company did reprimand Flair for his behaviour, but again, the talent closed ranks around him and largely turned a blind eye to his behaviour, which is a little bit grim. Well, in fact, no, it's a lot grim. Uh, The plane landed, and the attendants found it littered with beer cans and syringes, and eventually it just gave up and refused to clean it. So, the flight attendants filed a lawsuit against WWE, Hall, and Flair. These lawsuits were eventually settled out of court. Now, last year, in 2021, Vice aired an episode of their TV series Dark Side of the Ring, which is a really interesting documentary series about all the fucked up people in wrestling. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, some of them end with really nice, happy, positive notes. People do turn their life around. Uh, The Plane Ride from Hell, however, was not a happy, funny episode. Uh, It was covered in greater detail than fans had ever been privy to on this episode of Dark Side, uh, with interviews from a lot of people who were there, including Heidi Doyle, the flight attendant to whom Flair had uh, allegedly exposed himself. Now again, a lot of figures in the industry again tried to close ranks around Flair. Suffice to say, in 2021, in a post-Me Too world, it did not work. Uh, Flair is somewhat tarnished these days. Uh, he, he had actually been released from his WWE contract a month before the episode aired. Since then he has not appeared at any major wrestling show and he might actually be damaged goods as far as wrestling promoters are concerned. That's understandable. Yeah. I can see that, yeah. Now, it isn't the intent of this podcast to make any of the fans listening feel awkward for reliving this Horrible smudge on the annals of wrestling history, but in truth, you couldn't have really asked for a worse conclusion to the life of the WWF branding than that now, could you? Uh, The incident was branded a black eye by Jim Ross, who again, of course, was talent relations head at the time. But he claimed the only thing he can do with a black eye is heal. Needless to say, protocols were put in place to prevent a similar incident ever happening. And as discussed, 
punishments were generally doled out. Now, the fact of the matter is, we may never know the full details of this horrendous flight. There may still be stories that haven't been reported, overshadowed as they have been by the more shocking tales. Darkseid traditionally film more footage than they can use in an episode, and it isn't beyond my imagination, speculation though it is, that a number of anecdotes may have been cut for time. And again, just got to stress to anyone listening to this, I don't have any interest in making you feel awkward as you listen to this podcast. Ric Flair, i got to be honest guys, Ric Flair is going to be here for almost the entire duration of our timeline. As we've previously alluded to on this show in relation to Chris Benoit, it is frankly impossible to discuss this time frame in any amount of depth or detail without discussing performers who may make us feel personally uncomfortable. It is not my job to moralise or suggest how WWE could have acted differently. But that these events happened is the truth. And as Heidi Doyle herself put it on Dark Side of the Ring, the truth can be scary and the truth can be ugly and messy. But at the end of the day... The truth is the thing that makes us better. So, suitably horrified by that particular piece of news? Yeah, it seems grim as fuck, man. Yeah, not a, not a fine moment. And like I say, a lot of the a lot of that didn't come out until last year. Um, yeah. That there there were parts of that event that were played for laughs by the Ooh. WWE. Um, because like it was one of those things that's sort of grown on its own from rumour and fan whisper over the years and you know it kind of turned into a bit of a gag and then the full horrifying details were revealed shall we say yes. yeah. mm. but I didn't think we could cover this uh, this evening in wrestling history uh, without discussing such an infamous moment and uh, well there we go we have indeed discussed it so hopefully that's not put you off coming back on another episode yeah quite right but i'm out now thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you're right I'm sure i needed talking about absolutely I, I it was one of those things and it's like and we again we've mentioned chris benoit and a lot of people know full well what happens at the end of his lifespan um i know that it's exactly it's one of those things that it would be disingenuous to not talk about, quite frankly. It, for yeah. for us to not address it would be to pretend it didn't happen. And to, yeah. uh, like I say, it's not my place to moralise about it, but at the same time, it's certainly not going to condone that kind of behaviour, obviously. That should go without seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve. Ooh. We're actually... T- we, we done it. We done a thing. We done the podcast, man. No, he didn't. It's all a dream. Oh, God, no, we've got to do it again. Jesus. No, you've got to wake up now, and it's actually Wednesday, and there's still, like, a whole day. <laughs> and I've got to rewrite all my notes. <laughs> Turns out, insurrection was a dream. Oh, no. Well, that'll save me having to edit the episode, I suppose. Luke, you've just woken up. It's May the 5th, 2002. Oh, I'd love that. I'd be really happy with that. That'd be so, that, that'd be, that would be my dad's birthday. We could go out. We could. We, we we could we could watch the old wrestling on the, on the repeat box office on Sky. Except probably wouldn't be able to convince him. I was a kid at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd come and help. Oh, how weird would that be? How weird would that be if this was a big shared hallucination and like we woke up and it was twenty years ago and we still knew one another. <laughs> that too. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. So I've I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on, man. Thank you so so much for coming on. It's been a lovely oh. time talking to you, as it always is. But in particular, it's been lovely tonight. Oh, 
absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a good old time. You've been a you've been a delightful co-host. We've had a good old laugh. And I'm starting Operation Win You Over. Listen, if I can get Stu to start liking Animaniacs, <laughs> getting used to like wrestling is the next step on, on the old ladder there. So, oh, you've got some grand dreams. Oh, there. I know. <laughs> so, Steve, uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the world of online? Online, not just in a hole in my bed. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter at... Uh, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Stiff2K. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much all you need because I post pretty much everything on there. Oh, um, fair enough. Obviously, I'm always working with Sonic the Comic Online, which you can find at stconline.co.uk or on Twitter at Sonic the Comic UK. So if you are at all interested in Sonic the Hedgehog, then not only do you have tremendous taste, but you might be interested to read the uh, ongoing adventures of uh, the British Sonic. Uh, Absolutely. Given the blessing the, of the... The or- best Sonic. The, he is the best Sonic. No arguments here. Uh, given the blessing of the original creative team, it continues the adventures of the print Sonic the comic. Um, to a lot of fans' minds, it's, it, it's basically the official continuation. Yeah. See, you've left the team, but you've still got all the spiel in there. I, hey, man, you know, you, 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 can, you can leave a job, but you don't always leave the people who are in your heart, you know? Yeah, and they will eventually force you to come back. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you once again for coming on. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, to our listeners uh, listening to this, uh, we've got the Triple H profile segment coming up after the ad break and uh, possibly a couple of other little announcements. And you'll get to find Ooh. out what we're covering next episode if you just stick around after this ad break. See you on the other side of that. Steve, I'll see you. Uh, well, I'll see you as soon as I press the stop button on the record because we're on the discord call but i'll see you soon so thanks ever so much for coming on again man thank you very much and have a lovely night again thanks for having me likewise (laughs) deadlock pro wrestling returns on may 15 2022 to north carolina with dpw fire volume three the DPW World's Championship and the DPW World's Tag Team Championships will be on the line at this taping where anything can happen. Scheduled to appear, DPW World's Champion, Bojack. DPW World's Tag Team Champions, NDA's The Reality. Chaos Project, Luther and Serpentico. The Prize City OG, Alec Price, Kevin Koo. Davey Richards, the DPW Gatekeeper, Calvin Tankman, Colby Carino, Anthony Henry, Adam Brooks, the Kick Demon, Janai Kai, Rachel Rose, the Bass God, Gringo Loco, Andrew Everett, Yoya, Promise Braxton, Dive Bomb, Diego Hill, the Meltman, Donnie Ray, the Starboy, BK Westbrook, the Heart Gold and Soul Silver of DPW, Kid Bandit. And more tickets are available for DPW Fire Volume 3 right now at dpwtix.com. Don't miss out on the hottest pro wrestling company on the East Coast, Deadlock Pro Wrestling. Started in 2015, the Bar Godcast was started by three mates looking to watch and critique every WrestleMania in order. 
as Andy, Ian and Lewis explore the history of marquee WWE pay-per-views, they also have to navigate the problematic business practices of one Vince McMahon. And as a result, they now watch and review pay-per-views from other promotions. So join us as we desperately cling on to any semblance of love for professional wrestling on the wonderfully intermittent wrestling podcast, The Bar Godcast. Before we wrap things up today, it's time to put the spotlight on one of the talents. He's many things to many people, but ultimately he's a multiple-time world champion professional wrestler, the cerebral assassin, Triple H. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! Born July 27, 1969, Paul Michael Levesque, or Zero H's as he might have been known, who's to really say, was raised in Nashua, New Hampshire. Paul fell in love with pro wrestling early on and became a teenage bodybuilder when he decided he wanted a physique not unlike those larger-than-life characters he saw on television. In 1988, age 19, he won the Mr. Teenage New Hampshire competition. Eventually, introduced to champion powerlifter and World Wrestling Federation wrestler Ted Arcidi, Levesque persuaded Arcidi to introduce him to the legendary wrestler of the Territory era, Killer Kowalski, former rival of Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion Bruno Sammartino in the 1960s and 1970s. Kowalski now ran a wrestling school in Massachusetts, and young Paul would enroll in the school in 1990, where he met fellow future wrestlers Perry Saturn and a woman who'd prove important to him, Joan Laura. Levesque worked the independent wrestling circuit until 1993 under the name Terror Rising and signed a 12-month contract with World Championship Wrestling early the following year. WCW management would soon repackage him as Jean-Paul Levesque, owing to his French surname. The crucial thing they overlooked, however, was Paul could not speak French, meaning he was instead asked to deliver promos in a French accent. Footage can easily be found of the young performer delivering these promos, the obvious charisma he had being buried under a laughably bad phony accent. For a short while, Levesque teamed with Lord Stephen Regal, better known now as William Regal, and the experienced Regal became something of a mentor to him, sparking a lifelong friendship. Ultimately, Levesque's match at the 1994 Starcade, a singles loss to Alex Wright, caught the eye of World Wrestling Federation owner Vince McMahon, who offered Paul a WWF contract, resulting in the latter joining the company in January 1995. Levesque was brought into the WWF in a similar gimmick to that which he'd worked in WCW, tweaked to make him a Connecticut blue blood. To this day, Triple H is billed as from Greenwich, Connecticut, possibly a light tease at Vince McMahon's expense, as the well-to-do Greenwich is McMahon's current home. 1995 was during the WWF's new generation, and the characters on the show were less superheroic than they had been in the Golden Era, and instead more often grounded in a caricatured version of reality. Wrestlers couldn't simply be wrestlers, of course, they had to have jobs, and Levesque's job was Rich Snob. Initially, the name of Reginald Dupont Helmsley was suggested for Levesque's new character, but preferring a name that allowed a little wordplay, Paul pushed for, and was granted, the name... Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The rest, as they say, is history. To say Helmsley set the world of wrestling on fire would be an understatement. It would also be completely untrue. 
Hunter's most notorious match from his first year in the WWF would come in December of 1995 against pig farmer Henry O. Godwin. That's H-O-G, hog. The two would face off at In Your House 5 season's beatings in a hog pen match. As one might expect, this involved fighting in an actual pig pen with actual pigs, an actual pig slop, full of actual pig leavings. Triple H would later recall that other WWF talent at the time were reluctant to be hit with HOG's pig slop, but he recognised it could help solidify Henry as a babyface if the snobby Helmsley character would be drenched in the slop. And it would help his heel character too. Ultimately, Helmsley won the Hogpen match, which isn't exactly remembered as an all-time classic, but which the future world champion had a lot of fun performing in. Sometimes wrestling just has to revel in being stupid, you know? Less fun for Helmsley was a humiliating defeat at WrestleMania 12, where the Ultimate Warrior defeated him in just 1 minute and 39 seconds. Helmsley befriended a number of established WWF superstars, specifically Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Shawn Waltman and Scott Hall, becoming a member of their backstage group, The Click, who often caused problems backstage for other wrestlers and used their pull on Vince McMahon to get their way. This led to Helmsley getting in hot water following the Madison Square Garden curtain call incident in which he, Shawn Michaels, Diesel and Razor Ramon broke character to hug in the ring at the end of the show, despite being different alignments in storyline, and particularly in the case of Michaels and Kevin, Diesel, Nash, bitter enemies in the feud they'd been in. Nash and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, were departing the WWF for WCW, and this fond farewell in the ring was one of the first large-scale breakings of kayfabe in wrestling history, in the WWF's home arena no less. Nash and Hall were leaving the company, so McMahon could do nothing to punish them. Michaels was the WWF champion, so managed to evade McMahon's wrath also. Helmsley was the only man McMahon could punish. And punish him he did. Not only was Helmsley pushed down the match card, but his scheduled win of the 1996 King of the Ring tournament, which would have likely cemented him as a star, was taken from him. Now, if that sounds a little harsh, well, don't you worry. The win was instead given to Stone Cold Steve Austin, and was crucial in Austin becoming the biggest star in wrestling history and bringing in the Attitude Era, wrestling's most profitable period. Triple H made a lot more money from Austin winning the 1996 King of the Ring than he would have ever made from winning it himself. Things turned around for Helmsley later in the year when he won the Intercontinental Championship from Mark Merrow in October. He dropped the title in February of the following year to Rocky Maivia, the man who had become perhaps Hunter's greatest rival, The Rock. Helmsley would feud with Goldust, defeating him at WrestleMania 13. Now, that may not sound like a particularly significant feud, but something of note happened during it, when Helmsley's new bodyguard debuted, China, formerly Helmsley's training partner, Joan Lehrer. The two would also develop a real-life romantic relationship. Uh, that's Triple H and China, not Triple H and Goldust, obviously. 1997 was Helmsley's best year yet, not only effectively dropping the Connecticut Blue Good gimmick entirely, but seeing him win that year's King of the Ring tournament, meaning he got the rub eventually, he just had to go the long way around. He also formed with Michaels, China, and Rick Rude the group Degeneration X. DX were an early harbinger of the Attitude Era. They defied authority, clashing in particular with WWF Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter, also pushing the boundaries of good taste in television, popularising a crotch-chop hand gesture, and known for their promos which often straddled the line of crass and outright lewd, with a catchphrase of, Suck it. 
as well as that, Helmsley's lengthy ring name was shortened to Triple H. Temporarily retiring thanks to a severe back injury, Shawn Michaels was forced to leave the World Wrestling Federation. This saw Triple H become DX's new leader at a time their antics were endearing them to fans, leading to a rivalry with them and the Nation of Domination, and Triple H would feud with Nation member and fellow rising star, The Rock, the former Rocky Maivia. The two enjoyed a lengthy rivalry, perhaps spurred on by backstage animosity from the clique doing their best to hold The Rock down backstage. Without the influence of Michaels around, however, the two young athletes were able to develop a respect for one another, and their real-life rivalry would become more sportingly competitive, something which would eventually become what is today a friendship. On screen, however, their characters had no love lost for one another as they feuded over the Intercontinental Championship, and despite Triple H missing action due to a knee injury, DX would continue the fight in his absence as they battled the Corporation, the ultimate establishment group which The Rock had joined. Returning from injury, Triple H would continue his ascent up the card, eventually facing Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championship in the main event of SummerSlam 1999, in a triple threat match which also featured Mankind. Mankind would win the title by pinning Austin, but would lose the belt to Triple H the very next night on Raw. It was around this time that Triple H, who'd split from China in the storyline, entered a feud with Vince McMahon's Mr. McMahon character, twisting the knife in the feud by supposedly drugging McMahon's daughter Stephanie and marrying her. It was soon revealed, however, that the cruel Stephanie was every bit as unhinged as her father, and was in on the act the whole time. Together, Triple H and Stephanie, as the McMahon-Helmsley faction, or regime depending on what the writers put down on the script that week, used their connections to run roughshod over the WWF, ensuring they drove the fans crazy by continually cheating to ensure they got away with their evil actions. By this time, there was simply no denying it. Triple H was one of the best wrestlers in the world. Giving himself the nickname The Game, suggesting he was not simply the best in the wrestling game, but the whole game itself, and being similarly nicknamed The Cerebral Assassin for his love of playing mind games on his opponents, Triple H became easily the top heel in the business at the turn of the millennium. Triple H kicked off his 2000 by feuding with Mick Foley, seeing the two fight for Triple H's WWF Championship in a street fight at the Royal Rumble. The match is considered by wrestling historians to be one of the greatest bouts in WWF history, and fans who disagree with this assessment usually only do so because they consider the rematch the following month even better. That match was a Hell in a Cell encounter in which Triple H forced Foley to retire after defeating him. That year, Triple H main-evented WrestleMania in what was the first time the WWF Championship had not been defended in a singles match at the event, facing off in an elimination fatal four-way match featuring himself, Big Show, Mick Foley, and The Rock. More impressively than that, this was the first time in history the WrestleMania main event had not seen the fan favourite win the final match on the card, with Triple H retaining the belt, and sending the fans home unhappy for the first time in WrestleMania history. Triple H's 2000 continued with feuds pitting him against the likes of upstart Chris Jericho and rapidly rising star Kurt Angle, with whom Triple H found himself in a love triangle over the affections of Stephanie. Despite a brief face turn, the calamitous collapse of the storyline which saw Stone Cold Steve Austin run over by a speeding vehicle, in truth a storyline designed to let Austin have time off for neck surgery, necessitated Triple H turning heel once more to reveal himself as the mastermind of the plot. Ultimately, 
The storyline did nothing for either Austin or Triple H, with the latter eventually defeating Austin in a three stages of hell match at No Way Out 2001. Triple H would then go on to feud with The Undertaker, losing to the Deadman at WrestleMania 17. Stunning everyone, Triple H would form a team with Stone Cold, the two-man power trip, who cruelly ran roughshod over anyone who stood in their way, including an infamous incident in which the two brutalised Lita. It was for naught, however, as in late May of 2001, Triple H's quadriceps muscle was torn clean off the bone in a tag match between the two-man power trip and the team of Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. Despite the physical agony, Triple H finished the match, even allowing Jericho to apply his Walls of Jericho submission hold, a move which requires stress being applied to the quadriceps area. As a result of the injury, Triple H was put out of action, and missed the entirety of 2001's Invasion storyline. Around this time, the storyline romance between Triple H and Stephanie McMahon was blossoming into a real-life romance between Paul Levesque and the real Stephanie. Different accounts of the timeline have been contested over the years, and in truth, we'll likely never know the real sequence of events. But the end result was that Levesque's real-life relationship with Joan Laura was irreparably destroyed in order for him to pursue Stephanie. Far be it from this podcast to moralise, but while Triple H and Stephanie enjoy a loving relationship to this day, China's well-being collapsing is well documented, and this incident is believed by most to have played no small part in that. Triple H's road to recovery was a long and painful one. His injury was career-threatening, and in truth, could have been career-ending to any number of other athletes. But Hunter was determined. His road to returning to the ring saw him refuse to give in, and he managed to return to the ring by January of 2002, entering and winning the Royal Rumble, and earning himself a shot at the undisputed WWF Championship in the main event of WrestleMania 18. Ironically, as their real-life relationship continued to go from strength to strength, Triple H would be split from Stephanie on screen, with their character's marriage breaking down. Many years after their real-life marriage, the fans, knowing the truth of the situation off-screen, meant the WWE had to eventually have the scripted characters acknowledge it was an open secret that the two of them had been legitimately married for some time, with biting the bullet and creating a kayfabe inconsistency being the only way that they could have the husband and wife duo appear on screen once more. At No Way Out 2002, well before that business of course, Triple H put his main event shot at the Undisputed Championship on the line against Kurt Angle, with Stephanie as special guest referee. Because their marriage was breaking down on television, Stephanie naturally sided with her good friend Kurt. However, Kurt's victory was undone the following night, when Hunter won back his main event shot. At WrestleMania 18, Triple H and Chris Jericho had the unenviable task of following The Rock and Hulk Hogan. In hindsight, it is believed to be a mistake to have had the WWF Championship match go on after such an all-time dream match, as the fans were exhausted from screaming their lungs out for the two all-time icons. Ultimately, however, Triple H and Jericho put on a tremendous match, which sent the fans home even happier still as Triple H defeated the dastardly Jericho, even with Stephanie in Jericho's corner. And that, of course, takes us to the night before the start of our timeline. Triple H is a polarising figure in wrestling. There are those who consider him to be one of the greatest heel workers of all time. There are those who feel he was never worthy of the main event. But even his critics have to acknowledge his talent, and the tremendous matches he had with some of the all-time greats. After all, in the man's own words, 
He is that damn good. Before we head out today, I just want to thank Noel Mercado for his kind four-star review on Apple Podcasts. Noel says, oh, hell yeah. Nice to see more of NL branching off to other things, especially having LT as the host. Thank you very much, Noel. Hopefully, I'll do justice to the new legacy name and keep entertaining you guys. I also want to shout out Andy Springer, at Springer434 on Twitter, who thanked our mutual friend Darby for turning him onto the podcast, with Andy urging his followers to check us out also. Thank you very much, Andy. It really means a lot to me that people are spreading the word around the show. Don't forget, guys, you can send your comments and feedback to us via Twitter, at RARelived, or to my personal Twitter account, at LTDangerous. If you want to go a little more long-form, the show's email address is ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com. And we always appreciate a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show's visibility when you guys give us a, a nice rating or a lovely little review there. It's just nice to read them. It's thanks to you amazing listeners that despite having only been around for a short while, we've already surpassed 6,000 cumulative downloads. Now, I know that's small potatoes compared to a lot of the larger wrestling podcasts, but for a relative newcomer to this side of the podcasting world, that's honestly mind-blowing it, it it means so much to me every single listen means the world to me guys thank you so so much oh and don't forget send some nice feedback to stiv at stiv2k on twitter it's the least he deserves for putting up with me wittering on about wrestling for all this time next time i'll be joined by lewis clark of the bagard cast as we take a look at Monday Night Raw from the 6th of May 2002, the first ever show under the company's new name of World Wrestling Entertainment, as the company gets the F out. You might also want to keep an eye out on our Twitter feed, because we'll be looking at launching our Patreon soon too, with a bonus episode exclusive for subscribers, where we'll be taking a gander at Forcible Entry, the much-hyped music album released on the 26th of March 2002. Give that a listen if you want to know what tracks we'll be dissecting. Patreon-exclusive episodes are going to cover merchandise and various other little side ventures of the company, uh, and they'll be released frequently throughout the timelines, with the second one being a planned look at four of the WWF's magazines from the early part of our timeline. Until next time, guys, do please take care. I've been LT Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening once again, and I will catch you next time for a look at the first show under the WWE branding. Get the F out.